We are continuing today in our series that we've begun called The Big Three. Big Three. And those are the big three lies that we commonly and far too easily believe. And we talked last week uh, about the lie that says, I need X to feel Y. And we talked about the fulfillment lie, the self-fulfillment lie. And this week, we're talking about another lie that is just as common, just as easy for us to believe, and just as toxic when we do. This week, we're talking about the lie that says, I deserve blank. That could be all kinds of different things that, that we tell ourselves that we deserve. There's all sorts of lies that come at us that say, you deserve this and you deserve that, and, and we tell ourselves that. I deserve more happiness. I deserve a bigger, better house. I deserve a, a newer car. I deserve this relationship. I deserve a raise at work. On and on we could go. Lots of different things that we see and we're inundated with, and we say, yes, I deserve that. I deserve that. I deserve this, or I'm owed this, is the attitude at the heart of the entitlement culture that completely saturates our whole society. And you know that. You don't have to look very far to see that. Everywhere we turn, everywhere we look, the messages that we are bombarded with, it's all about entitlement. And that really defines our entire society. It's all about my desires, my rights, my privileges, before and above anyone else's. The entitlement culture or the entitlement mindset, it wrongly asks, why them? Why not me? When others' successes or blessings are seen or heard about. Your friends get to go on a really big, nice international vacation to Europe or to the Caribbean or wherever you know you insert where, where you would like to be. And you see that they get to go there and you've not had that opportunity And as the pictures flood Facebook of all that they're seeing and all they're doing, are you thrilled for them? Or does your skin start turning green with envy and the sirens of entitlement are going off in your mind? Why do they get to do that? Why don't I ever get to? It asks those questions, those self-focused, self-absorbed questions. Why not me? Why them? It's an everyone-should-get-a-trophy philosophy. And it's neither realistic or sustainable. Certainly, it's not biblical. It's like expecting to make big returns in the stock market without investing any of your own money and putting anything in. Many times, the entitlement mindset or the entitlement culture is tied exclusively to the younger generations. There's all sorts of names and descriptions for generations. You've probably heard of these ways of defining the different generations throughout the years. The greatest generation starts really about 1901 and goes to 1927, and many of them fought in World War II. Then there's the silent generation, and then the baby boomers. The baby boomers then produced Generation X, born in the 60s there and 70s. Then you have the millennial generation, which starts about 80, 81, and uh, goes into the mid-90s, and then after that is Generation Z. 
And so the, the younger generations, like the millennial generation and Generation Z, those last two generations, they typically get that label of, of entitled and the I deserve, the you owe me generation. That often gets tied almost exclusively to them. And, and in recent years, the millennial generation has even been given another nickname, Generation Me. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard that, possibly. Generation Me. Now, admittedly, admittedly, this attitude is increasingly present and very obvious with the younger generations. I don't think anybody can deny that. But, but, the feeling of entitlement that the world or, or life somehow owes us is not limited to just the younger generations. By no means is it limited to just the younger ones. Uh, so there's a couple of magazine covers. Times says, the me, me, me generation. I love the subtitle. Uh, I haven't read the article. I have no desire to. But uh, the subtitle is, Millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who still live with their parents. And then under that it says, why they'll save us all. I don't know. Not, not really interested in finding out why that is. But the next is from 1976, August 23rd, 1976. That's a New York Magazine article. And that title there is The Me Decade. And that's from Tom Wolfe. So my point is, by showing you that, it's not a new thing. I mean, the millennial generation might be called the me generation, but obviously it's a problem that's been around for quite a while. And certainly we, we know that anyone in any generation can adopt the attitude that they deserve special treatment, that they deserve more than what they currently have, that people should go out of their way to accommodate them because, after all, you can fill in the blank. There's all kinds of reasons we can come up with, selfishly, humanly, sinfully, why people should accommodate us. Why people should go out of their way to make our lives happier. And anyone in any generation can act like victims and blame other people for their problems instead of taking responsibility and ownership for what's wrong. Any generation can do it, and every generation has this problem. Every single one. Just like we said last week, this specific lie that we're talking about today, I deserve blank, this specific lie has been around since the beginning of human history just like the lie we talked about last week. And this lie, like the one that we referenced in the start of our series, it started with our first parents, with Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit. As Eve was shown that fruit, like we, we talked about at length last week, the Scripture says in Genesis 3 that she saw that it was pleasing to the eye, that it was able to make one wise, that it had everything that she needed. It was good for food. And she gave it to Adam, and he ate. And just like last week we said that they immediately bought into the lie that they needed that to feel fulfilled, to feel complete, to feel content. They needed that. It was, there was something missing in their lives that God wasn't giving them 
that he was holding them back from, that was the lie they believed. Well, the same is true with this lie. Because what Eve told herself, and Adam along with her, as the serpent, as Satan, dangled that in front of them, the lie they believed was, I deserve this. Not only do I need this, I deserve it. I deserve it. I'm owed this. After all, I've been completely what God wanted me to be up to this point. I've done everything He's asked me up to this point. We've stayed away this long, however long it was. We've stayed away from this tree. What can it hurt? I, I, I'm owed this. I'm Adam. I'm Eve. And they believed that lie. I deserve it. I'm owed it. God is obligated to give me this. And then it was quickly picked up by their son Cain, who said, I deserve to be accepted by God, just like my brother Abel, regardless of what I bring to God. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. It should be up to me what I bring to God. And he should accept it, knowing my, my heart is still one of worship, just like Abel. It doesn't matter that it's not at all what God said I need to bring. And he killed Abel. And then it just kept on going all throughout human history. Every page of Scripture has something to do, virtually, I mean, maybe not literally, but just about has something to do with mankind deciding, I deserve, I'm owed, you're obligated to give me, to do for me. And it just keeps spreading and spreading and spreading all the way through every generation, including our own. And this attitude is especially serious when it creeps into our spiritual lives and we project an attitude of, you owe me, toward God Himself. That is what legalism and the prosperity gospel have in common. Both take a very transactional approach to God. Legalism says, as long as I check off every box, I dot every I, I cross every T, I do everything outwardly, morally, physically that I'm supposed to, then God is obligated to give me favor and acceptance and love. So I do what's right. I follow moralism and, and I try to be holy so that God is obligated to love me. The prosperity gospel says, as long as I have, quote, faith, if I'm sincere enough with my belief and my faith is strong enough, then God is obligated to do for me what I project out there with my faith. Sounds a little bit like Star Wars, doesn't it? Both of these have this in common, that as long as I do this, God must do that. It's a transactional way of living and a way of approaching God. And it is not right, it is not biblical, and it is not in any way honoring to Him or what He has set up. Let's get something straight, all of us. Really important that we get this straight before we go any farther and in addressing what I've already said up to this point. God doesn't owe us anything other than hell, but He offers us heaven instead. 
We need to make sure we understand that, we believe that, we remember that. That is absolute fact. That's reality. The I deserve this, you owe me, as it relates to anybody, but especially to God, it's just not reality. Because God doesn't owe us anything other than hell. But He offers us heaven instead. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Verse 1, Word of God says this, and the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I would remind you, he's writing to the church, to believers. Originally, the believers at the church of Ephesus, and by extension, you and me this morning. Ephesians 2, 1. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, don't miss this, deserving of wrath. There's a a pretty stark contrast to the I deserve mentality of, of culture and society in every generation and every human heart. I deserve, I deserve. Well, This is what the Word of God clearly says we all by nature deserved. We deserved His wrath. We deserved His judgment. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Verse 4, so important. But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, here's what He did, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ, if you've committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, your position is connected to Him. When He was raised to new life after He went to the cross for us, which we were also connected to Him with, we were aligned with Him in His death as He died for our sins. We died to sin and to self. And as He was raised to new life, we positionally, spiritually, are raised up with Him and seated with Him in the place of honor. So as the Father views us and as He considers us, Believer, we're already in heaven with the risen Savior. That's how He sees us. And of course we know. I mean, come on, we, we all know this. That can't be based on any merit that we have. That can't be based on anything we could do. We couldn't bring that about. We were dead. We just read it. We were dead. We had nothing to offer God. Nothing about us would make God the Father look at us and say, Oh, how nice. Oh, I just have to have them with me. Oh, I'm missing something in my life. I'm not fulfilled. I need them. No, that's never what happened. That we even had a look in our direction 
by God the Father. That itself was an act of grace. And that's what he did for us. Even though we were dead in transgressions, all by his grace. And why why did he do all this? Verse 7 tells us. He did all that. He raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms. By grace he saved us. Verse 7, in order that in the coming ages, in every generation, every generation that's plagued by the I deserve this mindset, you owe me, the entitlement culture that pervades every generation from Adam and Eve on, verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for it is by grace, which is something completely undeserved, unearned, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, no one can say, because I've lived such a perfect, holy, righteous, moral life, because of that, God had to save me. Nobody can say that. Nobody can say, look at my life, how stellar I am, how spotless I am. That's why God saved me. That's why God raised me up. No, no one could ever boast of such things. Because no one is anything but dead apart from Christ. Friends, we would never want what we really deserve. But through Jesus, we freely get what we could never deserve. That's the Gospel. That's the Gospel. That's why it's such good news. Romans 6.23, the Apostle Paul says, for the wages of sin. Wages are something that you do deserve, that you earn. You know, you, you work a job for X amount of money. You, you do a job that is based on a certain level of compensation. So you earn your wage by the work you do. And it's deserved. It's fair. It's, it's earned and matches what you do. Well, for the wages of sin, Paul says, is death. That's what's fairly earned. The result is fair. It's equitable. Wages of sin is death. But look what he says in, in this beautiful, wonderful contrast of grace. But the gift of God, that's something you don't work for, you don't earn, it's given to you by someone outside of you. The gift of God is eternal life in contrast to that eternal death that we deserve, that we rightly earn. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, it's all about Jesus. It's all about His merit. It's all about His right standing. His perfection that He gives to us. All about Jesus. But so often, instead of singing, it's all about you, we sing by our lives, it's all about me. That's what we sing so often by our our lifestyle and by our mindset and by our attitude. But no, it's all about Jesus. It's 
all by him, from him, through him, and therefore everything about us, everything that's present in our lives, in our mind, in our heart that comes out of our lips, it should all be about Jesus. God's kingdom operates counter to our culture. We've got to understand that and believe that. Please write that down. God's kingdom operates counter to our culture. Our culture says, yes, you deserve, you're worth it, you're owed this. I mean, things as little as uh, cosmetic commercials. Uh, L'Oreal Paris, is it? L'Oreal Paris? Moms, ladies, help me out. Is that right? Am I getting that right? Okay, we'll go with it. I saw it on, I saw it on, while I was watching the playoffs, all right? It came up. Why this commercial was during the playoffs, I don't know, but it was. And it was all these, you know, women walking around everywhere, and, and the caption, it was repeated, you're worth it, because you're worth it. And the, the, the lady, you know, was trying to uh, convince you that you needed this, said, I am worth it. And I mean, it's just a silly commercial, okay? But underneath of that, I mean, that's the mindset. That's the attitude that's pervasive all throughout our culture. You deserve this. You're worth it. Yes, I do. Thank you. I deserve this. I'm worth it. But God's kingdom operates counter to that in every way. Here's what I mean. Matthew 5, 3 says this. This is the Beatitudes that Jesus gave on his, his famous Sermon on the Mount. He said this in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means those who know how poor they really are spiritually. Those who recognize their spiritual poverty. They're going to be blessed. They're going to be happy. They're going to be joyful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven does not belong to the boastful, the arrogant, the proud. The ones that say, I owe this, I deserve this, and therefore I'm going to get it, no matter what it takes. No, it's counter. The kingdom of heaven is counter. The kingdom of God is counter to that cultural mindset. Matthew 5.5 5, Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. A really good example of those kingdom characteristics, poor in spirit, humble. Really good example of those can be seen in Hannah. And considering it's Mother's Day, I just couldn't resist to give you this example. So I think probably a lot of you understand Hannah's story, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, Hannah's husband, Elkanah, had two wives. It was common in that day. Don't know why he would want to do that. I mean, come on, that doesn't make much sense at all, does it? But on, on many, many, many levels. But he did. He had two wives. One of them was able to bring him many, many children. Hannah was barren, and she wanted children. And especially in that culture, a woman being able to give birth to children was a, a status. It was something that, that really did set them apart. It was a thing of honor. There was fulfillment found in that. And if you weren't able to have children, you lacked fulfillment. You lacked the same level of honor and position in society. So she desperately wanted children, and she just couldn't seem to have children. And her, the, the other woman, the other wife, Scripture actually calls her her rival, Hannah's rival. And she would just rub it in Hannah's face that she had all these children, and then Hannah didn't. 
She made Hannah feel completely inferior and like Elkanah, you know, valued and loved her more, which wasn't the case. Elkanah seemed to be a man of integrity and he cared for, for Hannah. He gave her more provisions than even he provided for his other wife. But it didn't matter. I mean, she felt empty. She felt so lacking. And when they went up to worship at Shiloh, Hannah decided that she was going to go to God about all this. She was going to take her feelings of inadequacy, her her emptiness to God, and and just really bear her heart before Him. And so in 1 Samuel 1, 10-11, we hear this. This is what's recorded about Hannah's situation. Verse 10 of 1 Samuel 1 says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Don't you hear, don't you see the the humility there? The humility, the poor in spirit, the spiritual poverty that's on display. She didn't say, Lord, you owe me. Lord, I deserve children. How could you, Lord? Why do you give my rival these children when she's not even a good person? And look, I'm, I'm moral. I honor you. I honor my husband. I deserve children, Lord. There wasn't that sense at all. There was humility. There was a brokenness about her. There was a spiritual poverty present. She said, Lord, if you will just, just look my way, if you'll just show me favor, if you remember me, not forgive me, but please, please give me a son, then, then I will honor you with that. I'll give him back to you. Then skipping ahead in the account, verses 27 and 28, God heard her prayer. God honored her prayer. God granted her request, and He honored her humility. The fact that she didn't have that I deserve this, you owe me mentality was honored by God. Verse 27 and 28 says, this is Hannah saying this, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of Him. So now I give Him to the Lord. For His whole life He will be given over to the Lord And he worshiped the Lord there. The he was probably Eli who was there hearing all this, and that's the person that uh, Hannah brought Samuel to to leave with. So we see this example of of a kingdom mindset, of a humility and and a poverty of spirit, of recognizing God for who he is and what he is. Not a genie in a bottle, not a blank check, but the sovereign over everything. And that anything from him is an act of grace. Hannah really is a great example, isn't she? And as good of an example as she is, really the very best example of the opposite of an I deserve mindset is found in the Lord Jesus. When a Draw your attention to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 3 through 8. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. The Apostle Paul again is writing, 
this epistle. Verse 3, he says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, which is the way of our culture, the way of society. That's, that's the, the motto for, for mankind outside of Christ. It's all about what you want, do what you want, how you want, when you want, with whom you want, wherever you want. But do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, God's Word says. Rather, in humility, there's that word again, that important kingdom characteristic. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, Again, the kingdom of God operates counter to culture. And then verse 5. Have this mind, this mindset, this way of thinking among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Church, not only did we get salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ, we also got the ability to have the mindset that is counter to culture. We have the ability to choose what is opposite to what comes naturally. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then here's the example of Christ that I said is, of course, the best example of the opposite of an I deserve mindset. Verse 6, Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, that means He was very God. He was completely the same nature as God the Father. One with Him, but separate from Him. Who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, which He had, which was His, a thing to be grasped. That's literally grasped onto. Held onto. Moms, especially those of you who have younger children, you probably already had this happen today where um, you were trying to get ready for church or you were trying to get something ready at the stove in the kitchen and the little one just kept grabbing onto you and wouldn't let you go. And as annoying as that might be, it's a precious thing and it's over too quickly, right? So cherish it while it's happening. And there's, there's grabbing on to you in different ways, of course, as your children get older. It may be verbal, it may be nonverbal, but that's the idea, grasping on to, not letting go. Jesus, though He was completely divinity, did not consider His equality with God the Father a thing to hold on to tightly. But rather, verse 7 says, but He emptied Himself. What did He empty Himself of? His divine privileges. All that was by rights His as being equal with the Father. He emptied Himself of that by taking the form of a servant. That's literally a slave. By taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He did not cease to be God. Let's get that straight. He didn't lose His divinity but rather He added to His divinity our humanity. Think about that. The Creator Himself 
took on, added to His divine nature, that which He created. And it was all for one purpose. It was all for one end. Being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And by doing that, by going to the cross and dying there, He provided for us everything we could never, ever deserve. And He kept from us, taking on to Himself everything we did deserve. Amen? Are you thankful for that today? There's your hope. There's your joy. There's your fulfillment. There's everything that you and I could never deserve, but we have forever. Oh, church, may we reject the I deserve blank. You owe me. I'm owed this. May we reject that. May we remember that all we ever truly deserve is an eternity in hell. But through Christ, we were offered heaven instead. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it speaks to us right where we're at. May we recognize the lies, the the big lie of I deserve or I'm owed. May we recognize it, may we reject it, and may we replace that lie with the truth of Your Word, which we've heard and been reminded of this morning. May we replace the lie of I deserve with the truth that I deserve nothing but hell and yet I have heaven if I'm in Christ. Oh, may that be true of everyone here. But I pray, Father, if there's anyone who has not yet committed their life to the Lord Jesus, who has not been taken out from under what they truly deserve and given what they never could, I pray that today would be that day that they would step into salvation, that they would receive the free gift of Your grace and Your salvation, which they never could deserve or earn or be owed. Those of us who have already received Your salvation, Father, may we never get over grace. May we never cease to be amazed by Your grace to us. And may we never forget that it was at the expense of Your Son's life. May we follow His example of humility. And may Your Spirit empower us to truly live in a way that is counter to culture as citizens of the kingdom of God should. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.